0: Hello and welcome to the Frontline, a podcast from ILGA Europe in Brussels. We represent and work on behalf of over 700 LGBTI activist organisations across Europe and Central Asia, and our podcast aims to bring you to the frontlines of queer activism in the regions. My name is Brian Finnegan, and today we're looking at ILGA Europe's Rainbow Map of Europe and the realities that lie behind its country rankings. Released every May since 2009, the Rainbow Map ranks all 49 European countries based on their legal and policy developments for LGBTI people. This year there was much movement on the map, with Malta holding the top spot and several countries entering the top 10. All of this has been reported across the world, but what truths lie behind the Rainbow Map rankings? Malta has been number one for eight years now. But is it a utopia for LGBTI people? Or are there issues in the country that might be pinkwashed by its rainbow ranking? Are small movements up the chart really representative of what's happening on the ground for LGBTI people? And what's happening in the countries that used to be at the top, but are now lagging very much behind? To discuss this and more, we're joined by guests Robert Attard from the Malta Gay Rights Movement Simona Mirsek from Ljubljana Pride Association in Slovenia and Sophie Scheres from Transgender Network in the Netherlands. Also with us are Mehmet Akin from the ILGA Europe team who oversees the collection of data and rankings on the Rainbow Map and our Advocacy Director Catherine Hugendubel to talk about what we see happening behind the Rainbow Map and what's likely to happen in the future from ILGA Europe's point of view. Welcome and thank you everybody for joining us on the front line today. First of all, I'm going to come to you, Mehmet, as the person who joins all the dots on the rainbow map and who is engaged with the country experts and all of the people who do the behind the scenes work, giving countries points, which move them up the ranking or down the ranking in the rainbow map. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what's happened this year?
1: Yes. Hello. Thanks, Brian. Um, This year's map actually tells a very dynamic story compared to the last couple of years. We identified some positive change, and mostly those changes are happening in the countries where there are new laws or um, policies protecting trans and intersex rights. But let me give you some examples of those uh, positive changes that jumped some countries on the ranking, but also um, the darker side of the story Um spain iceland and finland jumped six places this year and they are all now in the top 10 because both spain and finland adopted new laws in finland it was publicly known as trans law that regulated legal gender recognition based on self-determination and it's the same story in spain with the new legislation there is um the Legal gender recognition is now based on self-determination, but Spain introduced a comprehensive legislation in relation to human rights of LGBTI people. So it didn't only regulate LGR, but also um, created anti-discrimination protection for all LGBTI communities, banned conversion therapies and prohibited forced genital mutilations for intersex minors. And uh, when it comes to Iceland, they still continue to fill their gaps in their legal systems. So they amended their equality laws, penal codes, etc. The other interesting story this year was Moldova. They amended their law on equality and penal code to include sexual orientation and gender identity-based protections. So Moldova moved 14 places up on the rank- ranking. Um the other positive story was coming from Greece. They moved up four places due to their ban on genital mutilations on intersex minors again and prohibition of conversion practices. The darker side of the story can be the example of Serbia and how civil society space is still important for LGBTI movement. They moved down three places because of the state obstructions to the Europride before and during the event. And Slovakia moved down four places because of the irregularities of the implementation of their LGR.
0: Okay, thanks. A huge amount of movement there. Catherine, what's ILG Europe's overall take in terms of what's happening in Europe, the wider picture?
2: I think what we're really seeing this year is that despite the really fierce attacks from an opposition against LGBTI rights, but a broader anti-democratic and anti-human rights movement, um, we see that advances on equality are are possible and are, are actually happening. For years, we've been warning about the complacency. And I think we've seen that replaced. I think in the face of the backlash that is unfortunately happening globally, but also across Europe and Central Asia, it seems like actors have been waking up. I think the, the conversations we have with governments, um, with institutions, with politicians have become more oriented towards how do we move forward? despite, on the one hand, the backlash, but also the rise in hate and homophobia transphobia that we're seeing across our region. And and that is paying off. So, um, for example, in Spain, we have seen very targeted attacks, how an opposition has been trying to derail the process of reforming, especially legal gender recognition. We've seen a government slipping and sliding a little bit, but then holding track and actually seeing the reform through. And I think that's the positive change we're seeing on the, on the map this year. We also see that many, many gaps remain. And so, you know, in the example of Moldova that mehmet has been giving, a country really starting to, to clean up and close gap by gap in anti-discrimination legislation in the area of employment, in the area of education, can actually make huge advances, not only on our map, but really on the lift uh, reality and the protection that LGBTI people face in their countries.
0: I saw a tweet at the weekend and the tweet was uh, Malta hasn't won the Eurovision Song Contest for quite a long time, but it always wins on the rainbow map. It's always at the top of the rainbow map. And That has been the case for eight years. So what are the main legal and policy reasons for this? Because the map obviously only looks at legal and policy developments.
1: Both Katrin and I talked about Spain this year, how they really passed this comprehensive law. So this is one of the examples that countries can follow, which was the example of Malta um, starting from 2015. It's one of those examples where the government committed to pass a reform on their legal system. With one unique legal act or with a couple of acts, they regulated many issues on human rights of LGBTI people. Malta introduced Gender Identity, Gender Expression and Sex Characteristics Act in 2015. This law back then was groundbreaking. It introduced LGR based on self-determination, banned IGM, and created anti-discrimination protection for trans and intersex people. And since then, Malta didn't necessarily stop, but expanded the protections. They later introduced marriage equality and some other family rights. But they also adopt equality action plans every five years and follow up the commitments In those policies and last year they revoked the ban on um, men who have sex with men for blood donations. So Malta is that example that passed a reform and they are following up on other issues with this reform.
0: So Robert, Malta consistently at the top and we've heard some very progressive uh, legal and policy Information moves from, from Mehmet there in terms of uh, the Maltese government. How does that translate to a day-to-day life for LGBTI people living in Malta? Um, day-to-day life uh,
3: generally has incru- improved a lot in the past 10 years. However, as uh, I do community outreach on a daily basis, and I find that there are still daily struggles faced by certain intersections of the local community, particularly trans people and migrants. Most hate speech goes unreported due to public cases where the police don't take reports seriously and nor does the justice system. For instance, in January, the trial of a 2005 murder of Sion Grek, a trans woman, finally began, with the alleged murderers found not guilty due to lack of evidence just a few weeks after. The fact that the woman was a sex worker was often highlighted in the trial and in the media, which added further stigmatization. In terms of media, very recently, one specific media outlet that happens to be the main media partner of Europride has been posting a lot of clickbait articles targeting the non-binary community, most recently following one of their podcasts where a notable gay influencer was asked on his opinions on gender identity and we quoted Jeffree Star Verbatim, and his answer was used as a way to promote this podcast. So while LGBT plus people can enjoy equal marriage, legal gender recognition and adoption, there's still a long way to go socially, and a longer way to go to accommodate LGBTIQ plus migrants who escape persecution in the hopes of living their true authentic self.
0: I'm quite interested to to hear that because obviously the Maltese government use this as a you know a prime example of how progressive Malta is, yet what we 're hearing from you is that between the lines it's a little more complex also can we talk a little bit about women's rights and abortion rights in in Malta and how the LGBTI movement is connected in there
3: um uh, last Year m g i m The Malta LGBTI+ rights movement joined the Voice for Choice coalition, which features organizations such as the Women's Rights Movement and the Doctors for Choice. Uh, The feminist movement in Malta is incredible. We work closely with them as MGRM, and they are very inclusive of trans and gender non-conforming people. Unfortunately, a lot of anti-choice propaganda in Malta starts from secondary school, With some schools still showing the anti choice propaganda video Silent Scream to students as young as 12. This pushes the false narrative that abortion is baby killing, which unfortunately reflects the majority of the island's view.
0: Can I take you back also to you mentioned migrants and asylum seekers? Can you tell me a little bit more about the situation for migrants and asylum seekers in Malta?
3: So, yeah, while uh, same-sex marriage is legal in Malta, uh, it's not the case for asylum seekers. There's 11 countries that criminalize homosexuality that are considered to be safe. Therefore, asylum claims coming from such countries don't have the right to appeal any decision made. And their claim is fast-tracked, so there is not enough time for asylum seekers to seek the help of NGOs or find uh, legal support. And although refugees have the right to family reunification, LGBT plus refugees cannot access this right because it requires a marriage certificate. And HIV medication as well, it needs to be more accessible since it's very expensive for non-Maltese people who are not in employment. It can cost between 600 euros to 1,500 euros. And um, there's uh, the issue of detention as well. HIV-positive asylum seekers don't have access to medication and NGOs don't have access to the detention centers, which makes access... Access would actually help us identify people from the community and raise awareness that Malta is an LGBTIQ-plus-friendly country by law. Some asylum seekers and people in detention who are LGBTIQ might have zero awareness of their rights in the country, particularly those who omit-stating their sexual orientation during the first interview. Um, It's actually important as well to mention regarding asylum seekers that uh, they are asked to prove their sexuality, and in some cases, the individuals either lack trust in the system And they do not disclose their identity, as I already stated. And in other cases, we had clients where their asylum application has been denied due to not enough proof, even though they have given enough proof, including support from GRM, some of which has even showed up at Pride.
0: So not such a rosy pink picture there. We do look to this idea of a top 10 countries and leading the way, but obviously the top 10 doesn't actually fully reflect what's happening in countries, as we find also from the annual review, which is the publication that's linked to the rainbow map, giving a narrative story about what's happening in each country. So the top 10, as I was saying, Catherine, isn't an exact picture. Can you talk to me about what the map really tells us in terms of the top 10 and what are the consistencies that we find between the countries in terms of what's not happening?
2: yeah maybe just to connect to the to the conversation we had on malta i think it's it's really important to just keep in mind what the map can be and what it what it's not and we're having these conversations every year i mean while it's an amazing advocacy tool and i think it really helps countries to see where progress is being made where other countries are setting the bar higher and and where they should go next of course as much as we try to look that the laws we're giving points to are also really accessible to people, there are often many, many subconditions that need to be in place. And, and, you know, then there's a conversation in how far we're reflecting them in the map or not. Like on intersex, for example, we do give points for countries banning intersex genital mutilation. And Mehmet mentioned that for Greece, for example, moving up this year. But at some point, we did see that these bans only really work if other conditions are in place like specific guidelines like uh, a monitoring and so we're giving points for that as well so we're trying to to reflect the reality but we do know that the the lift reality but also the reality of accessing legislation is often uh, much much more complex than that looking looking at the top 10 i think What's really important to say, and, and it has been mentioned briefly, is that on the one hand, moving forward on closing the huge gaps that still exist on trans and intersex human rights protection have really made a difference for these countries. And very often it's not only you know the legislation on banning IGM or reforming legal gender recognition according to self-determination. But adding gender identity, sex characteristics, and sometimes also gender expression to law explicitly, so to anti-discrimination legislation, to hate crime legislation, that has really made a big difference. And I think that's also where we still see often the gaps that that remain, actually.
0: Mehmet, one of the countries that had big positive change this year, not only in terms of the country itself, but in terms of the region of Europe is Slovenia, which introduced marriage equality. Historically, marriage equality has been a big thing in terms of movement on the map. But Slovenia only jumped one point this year. Can you go into the background of that and explain why that is?
1: Yeah, that's a great question where I can talk about our methodology a bit. Um, Slovenia's change compared to other countries happens because of how much a piece of legislation has a direct impact on people's lives. So we rank the countries on the basis of laws and policies under 74 criteria and in seven categories. And those seven categories make up 100% on our ranking. Each 74 criteria under seven categories have different percentage of weight. For example, if a country has marriage equality, they gain 3.75 points, or if they have IGM banned, they gain 2.5% on their overall country score. And Slovenia amended its family code this year that gave same-sex couples access to marriage and also joint adoption rights. So it gained those points. However, this legal change didn't grant all kinds of family rights to LGBTI people. So they didn't gain more points under our family category. When it comes to Spain's and Finland's new laws on LGR, these laws not only introduced new procedures for LGR, but they also created those procedures without any requirements or preconditions. So they gained many other points under our LGR category. For example, sterilization is not forced anymore in Finland, or you are not required to have medical interventions in Spain if you want to change your gender marker. And all those um, details make countries move a little bit more on the ranking. So basically, the points countries gain or lose every year, it's related to how many criteria they fulfill on our index or how much percentage of weight these criteria hold on their total score.
0: So Simona, welcome from Slovenia and congratulations to all the LGBTI activists in Slovenia who have fought for for same-sex marriage there and who've been working over the years for the equality of LGBTI people. Can you tell me what it's meant in terms of life in Slovenia for LGBTI people? Has it increased the confidence of the community and movement? And has it changed the country's feeling about itself?
4: Thank you very much for for the question and and for the congratulations. I think that the moment of uh, celebration was actually last year when the Constitutional Court published its rulings. Basically, because a very important part of the story that at the end of January this year, uh, the, let's say, full marriage equality law has come into force. It's due to several processes and one very important one of the last years was strategic litigation or actually uh, cases uh, two cases in front of the uh, constitutional court and last year when the ruling was published um, actually this change then came as a consequence afterwards so i think then when the constitutional court published this and this was long expected that was a moment of celebration uh, so actually i think this year uh, at the end of january where uh, you know this uh, 6 months period where before the the law will be fully implemented it passed a little bit more quiet maybe but i would like to also say that for i think for the slovenian context the fight for marriage equality has been 30 plus years so the first initiatives started at the very early 90s after the independence when the new constitution was written Slovenia has one of the more progressive constitutions uh, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, because in the 80s, in former Yugoslavia, we had very strong feminist movements, very strong pacifist movements, and so on. So our constitution enshrined uh, a lot of rights, which in many other Western countries, you don't have them on constitutional level. You have them only in the legislation level. So interesting part is that, for example, while the right to abortion or to uh, integrity of the body is enshrined in the constitution as a consequence of that. While our um, constitution is also quite anti-war, is a consequence of those movements. At the same time, there was already at that time an explicit attempt to also put the a prohibition of the discrimination of the grounds on sexual uh, orientation into that constitution and also already put in there the let's call it like an attempt of a right to marriage equality. So you can imagine from the early 1990s up until mid the second half of 1990s when for example the Netherlands published its legislation on marriage equality and so on. This was the topic uh, of the activist community was how uh, like what, um, small but prominent activist community particularly of lesbian and gay activists uh, this was the topic and then afterwards in the 2000s this um, struggle first time unfortunately manifested in the first law on the registered same-sex partnership which was actually adopted by the right-wing conservative government so you can imagine the law was very problematic I will not go into the details, but that law in itself got two different constitutional court rulings of it being against the constitution. And so this law was passed in 2005. And then we had later in 2009, the first constitutional court ruling. And we had another constitutional court ruling in 2016. Parallel to that, we had two fought and lost referendums in 2012 and in 2015 again. And the second referendum, when it fell, which was, you know, it was a lot modeled uh, after the Irish referen- uh, Irish examples. It was, you know, taken. Uh, it was modeled under uh, after some other experiences uh, in Europe. Uh, also, we were looking at Malta at that time, uh, trying to find countries that would be similar, trying to model something positive out of it, and it failed again. And as a result of that, we had a second legislative proposal, which was like a second law on. Uh, Allowing for, um, it was called a law on same-sex partnership, and that one actually came already very close to having uh, marriage equality. What it didn't have is it didn't have the right for adoption, it didn't have uh, the name, so you couldn't call it marriage. And also it was very clear that it was one other right, which was not given as a consequence out of that, which was the right for a biomedical support with, um, artificial insemination. So actually from 2016 onwards, we had already a fairly okay legislation discriminatory than in this aspect. And this family code change now corrected, uh, making it marriage equality law, where you can actually, uh, where they change the actual law so you can marry uh, in, according to the same standards. It also allows for uh, people to enter into a procedure to adopt, but it still doesn't tackle the right to uh, access to uh, medical support with artificial information. So this is where we are. Because it has been so gradual, uh, I would also say maybe there was not such a big celebration as it would have been in some countries where maybe there was very little before, and then huge change. For us, it was like step-by-step change.
0: Catherine, you want to come in on that?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to add, because I think it's really important what Simone is saying, that actually it was also the court that established that right, because that's that's also something that we see reflected in, in other places across the map, that, you know, apart from governments introducing legislation and that going through the parliamentary processes, it is often the courts, like we've seen that in Croatia, where the courts established the right to adopt for same-sex couples, but also in Poland, for example, which, you know, is still the lowest ranking EU country on our map. We have seen this year the court um, ensuring that no surgical interventions are needed for legal gender recognition. So courts can and do actually make it a difference as well.
0: So, Simona, same-sex marriage happened this year after a very long process and a very different process to other countries, as you explained there. And Slovenia went up one point on the map it still is at 21st place in the, in the 20s on the map. Mehmet has already spoken about the reasons for that. But can you tell us what the priorities in Slovenia for the movement are at this moment in time?
4: Well, actually, if we look at the rainbow map, and if you look at the areas where we don't have a check yet, uh, within all of those, we have now priorities for the future. So, as I already mentioned, one of the when it comes to legislative regulation, one of the priorities is to also uh, have uh, eventually legislation that will allow for the right to biomedically assisted fertilization or uh, insemination. Definitely, one of the big priorities now is to get to a point where we will be able to have a ban on uh, medically unnecessary health cosmetic surgeries on intersex infants and children. This has been a request for the last couple of years. And, uh, one also long standing fight now, the legal gender recognition based on self identification criteria. So these are concrete, like legislative things that we will, that we are working to push forward. However, there are also other important priorities, which are going more into this direction of one level below, because in most public services, in most public service sectors, there is nothing specific to support LGBTIQ plus people. I'm talking about health care, access to specific health care. I'm talking about uh, specific uh, measures for um, victims protection, you know, like safe houses um, and so on. I'm talking about shelters for homeless uh, and so on. There's nothing specific for LGBTIQ plus people in Slovenia. Protection of LGBTIQ plus asylum seekers, people who are imprisoned. There is no specific measures, which means uh, transgender people are not con- recognized at all. Uh, non binary people are not recognized at all, and they are always put into this binary system. So then there is this legal administrative level that we have a lot of uh, areas. And uh, when it comes to this wider uh, blank spot on the rainbow map for us, it's also the whole area of uh, hate speech and hate crime, both legislation. Uh, social aspect of it uh, there's a lot of uh, polarization and political abuse in that area so these are our priorities for the future
0: and in the the late 2000s we we did see a number of attacks on public spaces in slovenia and on ljubljana pride has that violence passed now is there, is there still a problem with violence and what is day-to-day life like for lgbti people
4: in the country So I would say that we experience on and off um, this kind of more public violent attacks Uh, up until 2020 and the corona lockdown. Uh, we would unfortunately steer on a yearly basis experience that one of the LGBT organization's uh, offices would be, you know, attacked somehow and demolished, or that we would have uh, an attack uh, on some of the community spaces, and you would have violence in the street and so on against people. So uh, we have been seeing that, unfortunately, not only until end of 2000, but it has, has been continuously happening. I think that now in the last uh, year, two years, after also uh, we are reorganizing, re-mobilizing after the lockdown and, and corona period, we see uh, very interesting phenomena. Some is, like I mentioned already before, that the polarization in the society is getting worse and worse. So we have more and more very extreme, very violent calls, especially through social media and other digital uh, forms, calling towards direct hate and violence towards the LGBTQ plus community, specifically more vulnerable within, uh, specific against trans community, non-binary and other marginalized within the marginalized community. So that, that's the one side of it. On the other hand side, I think we also experience that there is more and more this um, dynamic of people within the LGBTQ plus group building up these kind of bubbles, you know, where you kind of build yourself a bubble of safe space, where you try to be within your community, where you try to be within a space of people where you feel safe and where you can actually organize and live a fairly average, maybe normal life. Which I would just say with a disclaimer: of course, this approach works for you if you are middle class, if you're white, if you're a citizen. You know, Slovenia is very can be actually quite an okay place if you have money, if you're white, if you're well educated, if you're middle class. So, uh, in that sense, of course, these bubbles they all also provide a certain level of refuge, you know, from the general uh, societal climate. And finally, I think I would like to close this uh, intervention with the more positive outlook. Because for us, what we do see in Slovenia, and this has been uh, one of the remarkable changes of the last 10 years, is how perceptions and uh, lives uh, are changing within the young. Uh, We have a big national research that comes out every 10 years. So in 2010, comparing to 2020, when it was published. We have now more than almost 70%, more than 60% of young people support, for example, for same sex couples to raise and have children. We are talking youth in Slovenia is between 15 to 29 years of age. And uh, for example, we have a very interesting statistic also because young people in the research were also asked how they identify with their gender identity and sexual orientation. And very interesting is that. Uh, less than 60%, so we are talking about 58% of young people only, in that sense, identify as heterosexual or cis. So, like, over 40% of young people do not identify as heterosexual. And then they, you know, identify on the diapason. And within that, of course, there within that there's a small percentage of, I don't know, I'm not sure yet, and so on. But most of the, the young population, well, you can already see that uh, sexual orientation and particularly gender identity is part of their daily life in a very different way than it was for my generation and a generation of activists who were there in the 80s and in the 90s. And I think this is a great, uh, great also outlook for the future that eventually if we work more and harder, uh, also we will change the societal patterns.
0: Thank you for that that very positive outlook. And I suppose that's something we do forget because we we're in the now all the time. And a- across Europe, there are young people who are identifying in all sorts of different ways and and living their lives in a very in very different ways than our generations have lived, and also have different attitudes. So you know, it does give hope for all of Europe, really, when we look at what's happening now that there are a whole whole new generations of people coming up with very different ideas and attitudes around sexuality and gender identity. Merkret, two of the leading countries historically, the Netherlands and the UK, are slipping down the rankings.
1: Both the United Kingdom and the Netherlands, it's an interesting story. In 2012, for example, the United Kingdom was on the top of our list. They were the number one, uh, but now they are on the 17th on our ranking. I think they tell a story of how and why work on human rights should never stop. These countries are have been uh, lagging back on legal changes protecting LGBTI people, while others um, started adopting or implementing a much more inclusive or progressive legislations. So that's why they are slipping down on our ranking. But Let me explain that through our methodology a bit. As I said before, we have a set of criteria under seven categories. And if you look closely, for example, the Netherlands, they are quite advanced on family rights for same-sex couples, or they have good protection when it comes to sexual orientation in their equality laws, hate speech protections, or asylum seekers, for example. However, their LGR system is quite outdated, has very heavy requirements when you want to change your documents, or they have limited protection on gender identity or sex characteristics. And these issues related to trans and intersex rights, uh, legal gender recognition or bodily integrity, those issues have higher weight and importance on our map now compared to five years ago, 10 years ago. We ask countries to do their work horizontally on different segments of human rights and equality. So it means that they need to pay attention to the needs of all different parts of the LGBTI community. And it is only possible by changing laws under all of our seven categories on our map, which is um, the Netherlands is lacking at the moment.
0: So Sophie, uh, another disappointing ranking this year for the Netherlands, and that suggests that all is not as well as we might imagine it to be in a country that we, we imagine to be a very liberal and very leading country in terms of human rights and, and certainly in terms of the human rights of LGBTI people. So from your point of view, can you tell me what it's like on the ground for LGBTI people in the Netherlands and, and particularly from your organization's perspective?
5: Well, on the ground, I think a lot of LGBTI plus activists have the feeling that the government it's not moving forward and there's only more and more pushback and there's organizations filling it with sometimes violent attacks uh, football hooligans and uh, flag burning and a lot of a lot of hate on social media and also in in parliament uh, there's a specific Uh, some specific political parties quite outspoken against uh, what they call gender ideology. So things like uh, sexual education on the, the highest groups in elementary school is suddenly controversial, where it wasn't a few years back. And yeah, that's what's being felt. And then there's the government who say they support the LGBTI community, but they have really difficulty acting upon it. So that's, I think the community feels like there's a disconnect between a community and a government that says they stand for them, but in practice, that's, there's no actions leading to, to real effective uh, support.
0: So really what you're saying is that the Netherlands slips further as other countries Take more action. Yeah, but the Netherlands is like many other countries in Europe. There's a rise in terms of hate speech. Is that is that particularly anti-trans speech?
5: Not particular. It, it's it's. Uh, I think it's the the same hate speech we see in UK and and the US. Uh, things like grooming is mentioned. So drag queen story hours are suddenly also more controversial than they were a couple of years ago. But a lot of hate speech is is directed towards trans people. that's true, so I think a lot of people think there are more trans people than there are, in fact, and uh, we take up too much space as well. Of course, there are most people speaking out against. Trans people were already speaking out against government in some other way often, but they're now finding this as is a issue that they want to uh, profile themselves on.
0: And is there a rise in um, incidents on the streets?
5: Um, yeah, well, every year we make a report on anti trans discrimination in the Netherlands. So we uh, collect discrimination. From people who come to us, but also uh, to the anti-discrimination offices in, that are regionally organized in the Netherlands. And then there's also some figures from the police, but th- that's indirect. So there's no direct registration by the police. So. And we do see a rise at every organization where we collected from last year. And, and in part, it was because of a public anti-trans campaign aimed at the legal gender recognition legislation, which is now in Parliament. But that doesn't explain all the the entire rise in anti-trans discrimination.
0: And the legal gender recognition bill that's in Parliament, is that self-determined?
5: It's aimed to be on based on self-determination, yes. And so that's where they jump on with the, the exact copies of arguments picked from UK and which already have been used in, in Finland and in Spain and will be used in Germany. But what you see, we've seen that this discussion uh, had a big impact in the UK and we're now feeling it here as well.
0: And would you be hopeful for that legislation to pass?
5: Yeah, of course. If it won't pass, it will be the first LGBTI legislation brought in by either parliament or the government in the past maybe 30 years that wouldn't pass and that would be quite a turning point in LGBTI rights for the Netherlands and would embolden the anti-trans groups and anti-gender diversity, sexual diversity groups in, in the Netherlands, yes.
0: Catherine, it's a changing map. Countries who once took the lead are falling down. Unexpected movement is happening. For countries like Moldova, which Mehmet Explained jumped 14 places this year. From you and the advocacy team's perspective in Ilg Europe, what do you think this year's map is telling us about the future?
2: First, we would really like to see the the movement in that midfield that Mehmet has been mentioning, the countries that, you know, were front runners for for a long time and have been sliding down because other countries have been raising the bar so it's the netherlands that we've been talking about a bit more in detail but it's also germany it's sweden i think there's really a number of countries where movement is is really possible and and we see legislative reform processes have started and we really need to see them translate into laws now and and really need to see that movement that's the one big challenge i think the other. Big challenge is really more the bottom end of the map that we haven't had time to, to look more closely in in that this podcast, but I think also in the future where we are really seeing no movement and where we know that behind that no movement, there is a huge backlash and a huge, um, very difficult uh, situations for the lived reality of people, for the safety of people, more and more LGBTI people really considering leaving their countries also in Europe and Central Asia. So I think that's a real challenge. How are we mobilizing actors that are maybe not necessarily the governments, but as I said before, the courts, um, equality bodies and and others that can really make a difference in society. Um, The opportunities... as I said, I think it's again and again striking how many you know, little gaps in all areas there's still across the map. Um, so how many countries do not have protection against hate crime and hate speech um, based on sexual orientation, gender identity and sex characteristics, for example, which... In the current context, where in our annual review, we've seen the extreme rise in, in hate and violence on the community would make such a big difference. So the opportunities are there. I think the, also from European institutions, both Council of Europe and the European Commission, for example, a big uh, interest and advancement on intersex human rights that countries can really look at also for advice and for guidance. So so the opportunities are there, and we're, of course, continue to work with with. EU institutions, but also with the countries directly to really try to see them harvesting those opportunities. And, and as I said, especially that midfield kind of starting to move up again.
0: And in in terms of the countries on the bottom of the map, we'll be coming back to that in a, in a further episode to talk about what's happening there. To wind up, I'll ask our guests to give a message to their government based on what the findings are from the map this year. Robert, maybe you'll start us off by giving your thoughts, what should happen in Malta.
3: As I mentioned earlier, um, uh, same-sex marriage should be equal to everyone who is in Malta, including asylum seekers. Regarding the safe countries list, Malta should be safe for everyone, including people who come from uh, countries where uh, homosexuality is illegal, and uh, there should be more attention given to refugees and asylum seekers, HIV medication should also be more accessible, and uh, hate speech reports need to be taken more seriously. Like, for example, in September last year, a priest who was uh, who publicly stated that being gay or bisexual is worse and being possessed by the de- devil, um, he was acquitted of all charges due to no malicious intent, according to Locos. So uh, this will put pe- this puts people off from recording, from reporting uh, hate speech, and reports should they should, report should be taken more seriously.
0: Thanks, Robert and Simona. What is your message? For-
4: Yes. So the message for our context is that Slovenia is a, is a country that sometimes on the first glance, things can look okay. But actually, the moment you look under the surface and you start looking into the details, you realize how many deeply systemically rooted, um, problems we have. I'm talking about deeply rooted racism, discrimination and, you know, nationalism and so on. So for the LGBTQ plus community, and particularly for those people who are at the core of the more vulnerable, the the problems are really multifaceted uh, facing, um, uh, you know, uh, this type of oppression. What I'm trying to say is that when we talk about LGBTQ plus asylum seekers, for example, their first problem is going to be forced deportation back to Croatia. And it's not even because they are LGBTQ plus people in the first moment. It's because that's how all asylum seekers in Slovenia, uh, when they come, they're treated non-humane. And that's what the government is said to do. And the biggest problem is that uh, we had behind us in 2020, in 2021, up until early 22, last parliamentary election, we had an extremely authoritarian, hateful government. This has changed. We, we have a left liberal government now but it didn't change how they treat people who are with the most vulnerability and least power so they still deport asylum seekers back to Croatia where they are getting um, extremely violated and pushed back into Bosnia outside of the EU so this is just one example how deeply systemically we are uh, we are uh, faced with, with these problems so for us Actually, the fight for LGBTQ plus rights is the fight uh, that transcends only our community in many of these areas. Uh, so it gets more complex. It's more difficult to articulate it. So uh, we, I think we need to focus more on recognizing these points of vulnerability and then actually build a more political, uh, more, more strong alliance in that sense. Um, so it's, it's a message both to the decision makers. A, we are looking at you and come on. You know, we have uh, we have a different government now. Live up to the expectation of the voters that, vote, that voted for you and fought in 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 protests for two years every Friday, protested for a different political option. Now we have this different political option. We who were on the streets elected you. Now live up to the expectations. The expectations are human rights protection for everybody.
0: Sophie, what message would you have for your government at this time?
5: I think. <laughs> Um, m- my message would be bring on the turning point the LGBTI community needs, not the turning point that our opponents, those who want to take away our rights, are screaming for. Make LGBTI rights a priority like you do in your international policies because that's the Netherlands is really making it an issue on international levels but at home, it's a different story, and that shouldn't be how well how it needs to go. So we need this turning point because if it doesn't, it will become really scary for a lot of people.
0: It's been a very interesting discussion, and it's really good to dive behind the figures of the the rainbow map to to really get a, a view of what's happening in each country i think we should do it every year because it's something that is needed to contextualize but also congratulations to everyone in the movement who's working really hard in all the countries we've focused on today and and all of the countries in europe really where we know we've a very strong movement across europe and central asia and thank you for joining us today You have been listening to the Frontline ILGA Europe's LGBTI Activism podcast. To find out more about our guests and the organisations they represent, visit the links in our episode description. And please subscribe, like, comment, or share wherever you listen to your podcasts. The more we hear from you, the more activists will gain from our work at ILGA Europe to build a strong and resilient movement for positive change in LGBTI people's lives. Tune in next time when we'll be traveling further on the front lines of LGBTI activism in Europe and Central Asia. Bye for now.